I started to dig into the fees and I learned about expense ratios and sales charges and load fees and what does this stuff all mean? And it sounds really confusing, but it's really not. The whole premise of it is to keep your fees as low as you possibly can. When I did the digging into the fees, I noticed that I was paying 7% in fees. 7%. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Whitney Hansen. Whitney, are you ready to rock? I'm so ready to rock, Andrew. Let's do this. I'm so ready too. I really enjoyed getting to know you a bit. So I'm going to introduce you to the audience now. Whitney teaches millennials how to pay off debt and gain financial independence. And my God, isn't that awesome? She gives them the tools to have more fun with money while sprinkling in a little silliness. She's got a master's in business which isn't very silly. That's pretty serious. A bachelor's in accounting, experience paying off debt. She went from 30,000 and paid it down in 10 months. And a true started from the bottom story. When she's not writing about money and creating financial plans for others, she can be found taking spontaneous road trips, reading in coffee shops, or mentoring other entrepreneurs. Whitney, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your exciting life. Thank you so much. That was a great introduction. And your radio base is way better than mine. So, you know, props to you, my friend. You hit a lot of the highlight reels. So that's how I introduced myself. I'm a podcast host. Been doing that for four years now. Craziness. Love it. It's called the Money Nerds Podcast, where I get to interview really cool people and hear their secrets to financial success and what works for them. My whole journey to financial independence and doing what I do today came from my personal background. I grew up in a single family home and it was a really bad situation, very, very poor. My mom did the best that she could with six kids, but we struggled. Every day was a struggle. And I started to see how important education was from an early age. And that's where I got my passion and my drive for helping others with money as well, because I didn't want to be in that situation. And I thought education was the secret. So that's kind of where my whole journey began. Mm, wow. What a story. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many people, how all of us start off, you know, with some difficulty. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's sometimes I've, I've heard some people say some, you know, like, oh, that, that person was born rich and they've got it easy. And I thought to myself, boy, I know a lot of rich people that really aren't happy and the yeah. parents weren't happy. And I thought to myself, is it really a benefit? in that case, to be born into that situation? Or is it actually a detriment? <laughs> I agree with you. I actually think in most cases, it is. It's a big curse. We think it's great, but the stats don't show that it's that pretty. Sometimes we see the lottery winners. Yeah. And I think the other lesson from that too, is the idea that, you know, we make the best out of the situation that we're faced with and try to also, what I would say too, and I think that you're a living example of that is that 
we learn from those and we grow from those tough experiences. And then that becomes the seed of what we bring to others, the value we bring to others. Because think about the, the people that you've helped that are in a you know, really tough situation and you can bring the value to them to be able to say, there's a way out. Completely. I think that it's beautiful. I think we all have unique money stories and interesting things that make us different. And I think those differences are relatability for a lot. If you're brave enough to share your story. And that is the very interesting point because I can't tell you the number of no's that I get to come on this show. But we know. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's just really, particularly because I'm in the world of finance and financial people are terrified of sharing their mistakes. From a, you know, for many different reasons. But as I always tell them, you know, the point is, is that if I'm an individual or a company and I'm looking to trust someone with my money, I would much prefer someone who can explain their worst investment, how it felt, what they learned from it, how they grew from it. And then it just becomes much more of a human, you know, you can relate to that person. So that's part of what I try to convince people that But also the other thing about this show is that you'd be surprised at the number of people that tell me that, you know, I've never actually kind of worked through that mistake. Yeah. And in order to come on your show, I had to really think about it. I had to write some stuff down. And in some way, my worst investment ever podcast is a confession podcast. (laughs) It definitely is. I know. I didn't bring my wine or my beer to this one. I'm kind of like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to have some fun. Well, anyways, let's get into it. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, in fact, usually we think it's going to be a great idea. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Oh, I love this question. And I too had to sit there and think about what is the common theme with all of my mistakes and mess ups that I've had throughout my life? Because there's been a ton. And I'll tell you a few different scenarios that came to mind Mm. and then the common theme. So one of the ones that I, I noticed is I, again, grew up very poor. So I decided that investing in compound interest. I saw those charts, my friend. I was like, yes, I have to invest in mutual funds. That's the secret. So I saw all of these charts. And at 18 years old, I opened up my own investing account. I hired a big broker firm, which I won't say the name of. And I put in what was a lot of money for me at that time, $120 a month. So I was investing for a couple of years and started to learn more about money and fees and how all of this stuff matters. And I was looking at my statement one year and I noticed that I was in the hole, not because my stocks had gone down, they were actually higher, but because the fees were getting so high. And I didn't even realize that the fees were there. I had no clue. So that was my first step with learning. I was being ignorant and I was blindly trusting others and it didn't serve me well. So I started to dig into the fees and I learned about expense ratios and sales charges and load fees and what does this stuff all mean? And it sounds really confusing, but it's really not. The whole premise of it is to keep your fees as low as you possibly can. When I did the digging into the fees, I noticed that I was paying 7% in fees. 7%. And isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I was so naively paying it because I had no idea. I had no clue. So that was the first scenario that came to mind. The second scenario that really shook me is when I was 16 years old, again, poor family, 
my mom didn't have a car. So I financed a family car. Of course it was under her name. I was 16 years old. She financed the car. I was making the monthly payments and I was doing the best that I could. I trusted the car dealer. I totally trusted them. I'm like, oh, they they told me it was a great car. I didn't know anything about cars. So I, I got this really cute three-year-old car that I thought was going to be perfect. And that's when I learned that people will sometimes lie to make a sale. And that ignorance did not serve me well. My car, the motor blew a month later. Uh. I was making six months on a car that I couldn't even drive. And so it sucked. But all of those lessons combined it really taught me not to blindly trust professionals, people that I think should have the chops, people that are in maybe a higher power situation, or of course I perceive it that way, to always do my own homework and to really lean into my own intuition. And one question about that is, do you see the financial industry is different from other industries, such as you want to build a house, you got to find an architect, you know, can you more blindly trust an architect or you want to hire a, a teacher to teach you a language or something like that? Is it more likely that you could blindly trust them and get a good result? Is there something different about the financial world or you think it's the same across all services? I think it's different in the financial world because I see way too many people prey on the lack of knowledge frankly. And I think that dives into some socioeconomic issues. It, it touches a lot of different areas, but I've seen way too often where people blindly say, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I don't have the degrees. I don't have the credentials. So it's not my job to try to figure this stuff out. I'm just going to hire somebody to take care of it for me. And I think that that industry specifically is really critical to pay attention to as an individual because that's where if you're not watching what's going on in your financial life, we hear the stories all the time of people embezzling money that are maybe not doing the best investments in your best interest, even though they legally should, they're still making decisions that maybe are in a fiduciary responsibility. So I think for the financial industry really people get taken advantage of way too much. And I don't see that as much in other areas except for the financial industry. Okay. So let's try to summarize the lessons that you've learned that you want other people to gain from this. Never ever make any decisions in your financial life until you do your own research and try to get a basic understanding. I think that is the rule number one for any financial decision. I'm not expecting anybody to be able to run the numbers and to pull these really sophisticated calculations like you do, Andrew. That's not what I'm expecting from people, but they should understand the basic terminology and they should feel comfortable enough that they can make a move with their finances, specifically with investing. Yep. Got it. Okay. Let me uh, highlight a few things that I take away from your story. The first I want to mention about compound interest, because we all see that chart. There's a couple of things we have to remember about that chart that shows this exponential rise. The first thing is that the exponential rise doesn't really start occurring until year 20 and really, really start occurring at year 30. And so first thing is probably one of the highest priority things when it comes to investing is getting your money in and keeping it in. Now, the second part of that chart is that you have two types, let's just say over the next 30, 40 years, you're gonna put your money in the stock market or whatever, let's say you're gonna own every stock as an example. Now that chart is gonna grow exponentially and it's gonna grow through two things. Number one, 
the stock prices are going to go up. And number two, you're going to get a dividend out of the investments. And the stock price could be, let's say that it's going to go, although on average, it's going to go up by 8%. It could be that the stock prices are going to go up by, let's say, 5 or 6%. Let's say 6%. Mm-hmm. And 2% you're going to earn from the dividends. Now, the way that people destroy that chart is if you take that 2% that you earn as dividends out and spend it on a dinner or anything, <laughs> all, all of the compounding, the most of that compounding, let's say, is destroyed. So if you were to take your gains out of that investment vehicle, let's say, and not reinvest it, that chart is gone. It is not going to be exponential. And I think most people just don't realize that what we're really talking about when we show that exponential chart is forever constantly reinvesting all gains and all income. And I just want to highlight that that's such a critical thing that people don't understand. That's huge. I'm glad you mentioned that too. Now, the second thing is that you've highlighted now in all of the interviews that I've done, I've come up with six key ways that people make mistakes or lose money. And the first one is the first most common, which you've mentioned already is fail to do their research. And your number one advice is do your research. Now, the second one is fail to properly assess and manage risk. The third one is driven by emotional or flawed thinking. And number four is misplaced trust. And so I'm, I'm going to highlight that this is a great example of misplaced trust. Number five is fail to monitor their investment. And then number six is, well, this one's a little bit weird because I really didn't know how to categorize it. But I had so many stories of people who invested in a startup company and they lost all their money. And so number six is invested in a startup company. Yeah. <laughs> mainly, mainly because a startup company investment is binary. You either win a lot or you lose a lot and most people lose a lot. Now, I want to mention a third thing that I take away. And you mentioned this about preying on the knowledge that financial people have. Now, what I would describe this as is I actually talk about this in some ethics that I teach, which is the, the knowledge gap. The average person that goes into a financial advisor is never, ever going to know what that financial advisor knows. Not only do they not know it, they don't want to spend the time to know it. And that's exactly the purpose of a professional because it's the same for an architect, as an example. You're going to go in, they're going to know so much more, and you're never, ever, ever going to close that gap. Yep. So the, basically what that means is that that knowledge gap can be taken advantage of. And so from an ethical perspective, a person's job in the financial industry to be truly ethical is to never betray the client's trust in relation to that knowledge gap, even though you could easily do it. And so so what we want to try to find is the financial professionals, we're happy with financial professionals that take some money for their services, but it's critical that they're not taking advantage of that knowledge gap. And it's 7% fees And, you know, as my dad said many years ago, he used to say, I can't even figure out all the fees that I'm being charged. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. It's a nightmare to dig through. Yep. So as you go into your investment, you know, life and you're, you know, I'm thinking about, let's say, let's say your audience, you know, as the young people are going into their investment life, just walk in knowing there's a knowledge gap and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But that you want to make sure that you're not taken advantage of. 
you don't have to actually close that knowledge gap. I think a lot of people think that the only way to not get taken advantage of is to close that knowledge gap. No, the way to not get taken advantage is to understand that the knowledge gap exists and look for an ethical person that's not going to take advantage of that. 100%. And don't just take your financial. I always see this too, where people are like, oh, well, I chose this financial advisor. I chose this lender because that's who my parents use. I'm like, what? Like, what is this? You have to do your own homework. Your parents, and they can be getting taken advantage of too. You don't know. So it's important to do your own research. Yeah. And I think that the last thing I take away. So the first thing was compound interest. The second one was about mistake number four, misplaced trust. The third was a knowledge gap. And then the, the fourth one, I think, is just a very critical one that whenever you walk into a financial advisor's office or someone like that, you need to ask the question, what does it cost? And we ask that question everywhere else. You go in and buy a dress, you're going to buy a car, you're going to ask, what does this cost? Mm-hmm. And CFA Institute, which I'm involved with CFA Society and have a CFA charter holder for chartered financial analysts, put out a list of shareholder or let's say investor rights. And one of the rights that they put out, which I really like, is the right that says you have a right to understand the fees that you're being charged. And if you do not understand it, you have a right to ask for an explanation that you can understand. Oh, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And so I think from an empowerment perspective, the main thing that comes from that is you have a right to ask and get an answer that you can understand. 100%. I love that. I noticed that too with just any, any positions of power, we feel as if we can't have that conversation when you can, you can even ask your doctor, is this test necessary? Like we just always blindly follow. And that was what I did for a lot of my life. And I really do regret that. Yep. All right. So now based on what you've learned from what you've just shared and what you continue to learn, and I know you're doing a lot of coaching and helping people, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And let's think about a young person that's kind of getting started, I think. And that's really what you've shared is you're getting starting points. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound counterintuitive because my whole message is do your own research and make sure you understand what you're getting into. But I also want to caution people from staying in this too much research phase. I see a lot of people think that, again, that knowledge gap, I have to close that so much that they will spend months researching a decision that they just need a little bit of information on a couple hours and then go take action. So make sure that you aren't spending too much time procrastinating by researching and you're actually taking action to better your life. Because even if there are mistakes that you make, being in the financial game, investing, taking those risks, that's where you're going to find success. And if you're just sitting on your butt because you're too scared, it's not going to be a very good situation for you. So don't over-research. Great point. And what I'm thinking of is as an analyst working all of my career, I was taking care of fund managers around the world. And they would come to Thailand in my case and say, you know, what should I buy? What do you like? What about this? What about that? And some of the best fund managers, and I, I observed their behaviors, which was fantastic, but some of the best fund managers, they start with a small position in that company that they like. Mm. And then by starting small, it forces them to start a process of learning about this company. So they force themselves to get started. But by starting small, they can't really add to that position until they've got a justification for that. 
But if they just take, you know, half of a percent of the overall portfolio and put it in it, now they're obligated to start doing some research. So That's I love your advice. The idea is you got it because nothing's more important than getting started. Get started with a small amount and then learn as you go. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one, this is really weird because it's not necessarily a financial goal. I am dying to build a tiny cabin. <laughs> so that's my number one goal. I want to build it myself. I want to rent it on Airbnb when it's officially ready, but that's what I want to do in 2020. That is interesting. That's going to be, uh, <laughs> is it going to be in the woods? Is it going to be in the flatlands? And where is it in the mountain? Definitely. I live in Idaho, so it'll be in the mountains of Idaho, ideally as close to a lake as possible if I can find a lot. So I've been searching, but that's my goal. That is cool. We're going to check back in a year. Maybe we'll have to rent it out and hang out. <laughs> I know, right? You might have to. It'd be good. For all of my trips to Idaho, I think we may <laughs> see you lot. in Bangkok. We may see you in Bangkok so you see me in Idaho. That's probably fair. Yes, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Whitney, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, just take action and stay on your budget. You win with your big financial goals by sticking to your budget every single day. Take that advice from an expert. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.